Welcome. It's great to have you all here. You know, it can be pretty hard to collect good science data. You've got to look out for bias. For example, you know, what's the most important organ that you have? Well, it's the brain, right? According to the brain. <laughs> so you got to look out for that bias. <laughs> well, it's time to turn it over to someone with a great big brain. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. <laughs> Have you ever wished that you were waterproof? Sometimes it'd be pretty nice, wouldn't it? Well, I'm going to talk about some new research into a new coating that can make surfaces hydrophobic. Not only hydrophobic, but super hydrophobic. And remember, hydrophobic means that it doesn't like water. It repels the water. So you've maybe seen how some objects you put the water on and just kind of rolls off. Well, super hydrophobic means that the water actually kind of bounces off. Let me show you some videos. If you watch this, they tried it on a lot of different surfaces, and the water just kind of pops off. They tried fabric and paper and wood and all kinds of different things like that. And um, maybe that was too fast, so let's slow things down. Watch this. They also tried it in slow motion. There's the drop going down. And when it hits the surface, it looks like it's going to get it all wet, but no. And away it goes. <clears throat> and it just bounces along like that and jumps off. So this is pretty interesting that they have a coating that can do this. And it's a new type of coating that no one knew about. And guess how they discovered it? Amazing research. Some graduate students forgot to put the lid on, on the reagent, and they left it out a couple days. They came back, and I'm sure they were trying to decide who had to go tell, you know, their professor what happened. But then they found out that it had made a super hydrophobic surface, and, and everything was okay. <laughs> and they've been working on it and experimenting with it, trying to figure out why it works so well and why it worked. And it turned out that they found out that just the right amount of moisture, and with this reagent, makes... This, this surface happened. And they took a closer look. Let's zoom in. If you look on the far left there, you can see the glass sheet with a green drop on it. And they coated that glass sheet with their new spray. And then the next slide over, number two, is zoomed in. And then three is zoomed in even more. And then four, of course, is zoomed way in. And you can see there are these little, almost hairs, these little fibers that are different sizes from um, micrometers to nanometers. And these little teeny surfaces are what make the whole surface become super hydrophobic. And uh, so it's pretty neat to see how it works. And it turns out that it's really easy for them to make this new spray. And they actually are trying to put it in a, a spray can so you can just spray it on like spray paint and make any of these different kinds of surfaces uh, repel water. One really neat application might be to use it to make surfaces that are self-cleaning. Because if you repel the water like that, it can carry away the junk. Let's look at their little experiment that does that. They put some dirt on there, and they drop the water on, and it just kind of carries the dirt away. And so a surface like that in the rain would just clean right out, wouldn't it? <clears throat> now, they also did experiments with this over 18 months to see how long it would last. And after 18 months, the surfaces that they put this on are still acting super hydrophobic, which is pretty amazing, because it means that it could be quite durable. And there are a lot of neat applications. They could, for example, maybe be able to use this for anti-icing. You know how when airplanes go up high in the sky, it gets colder and colder as you go higher. And if they go through visible moisture when it's below freezing, their aircraft can start getting ice build up. And if you get ice on the wings, it changes the shape of the wings, and it can make it so you don't get as much lift. But at the same time, as the ice builds up, the whole airplane gets heavier. And so it can be really dangerous. And having some way to make the surface of the airplane super hydrophobic like this would make the ice come off before it can really stick to the plane. So they're experimenting with that. And then, of course, self-cleaning. But another application might be waterproof clothing. 
you know, so you don't need your umbrella, right? <laughs> Except I don't think they have the hairspray yet, but <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> but the neat thing about using it in clothing is that it doesn't block the air. So you can have really breathable cotton, and yet if you get water on you, it just rolls off. Let me show you a video. <clears throat> a brave test subject. And here comes the juice. And All right, he's all clean. He's probably feeling pretty macho, but... Wait, we need to go back. If you look really carefully, he forgot to wear the waterproof pants. <laughs> so didn't quite end as well as they were hoping. <laughs> but the shirt's okay, right? <laughs> yeah. So the moral of this story is, uh, you know, get the whole set, right? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but this is a, a new coating that they have a provisional patent on, and they're just now trying to find people who will uh, work with them to help develop it. It was the Simon Fraser University. And uh, so this has a lot of potential. It's a pretty neat technology. And that's all the time we have the tech for. Right. Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. Tonight, we're going to talk about something pretty exciting and pretty well-known around the world. And first, though, I want to ask you, you know, when you're, I mean, we're in that science fair season time. I mean, I think today's like the deadline. But when you are trying to find an idea for a science fair project, do you realize how surrounded we are by possible ideas? And it turns out even places like nature Scientists and engineers find all kinds of ideas. I mean, when you go outside, is it like, hmm, outside? Oh, there's some more outside, hmm. <laughs> Are you like, whoa, outside, an acorn, an idea, a hawk, an idea. It doesn't matter what happens. Bird just went on my, an idea, <laughs> okay? Ideas, they're everywhere. And tonight we're going to talk about, hear it, hear it, Velcro. That's right, an idea. Okay, and it came from, now we call this, when an idea comes from nature, biomimicry. And it's where something in nature gives us an idea or we take that something we see or observe and we use it to impact our lives or our world, okay? And some of you are like, you mean like Spider-Man, okay? No, more like Velcro Man, okay? <laughs> Velcro Man, you know, can you imagine that? He's got a cape. Okay, but no, Velcro, Velcro. And we're gonna jump all the way back to the 1940s when this gentleman, George de Mistral, in, he was a Swiss electrical engineer and he wasn't working, he was just walking outside with his dog. He was finishing hunt, a hunting trip and he gets inside with his dog and they're both covered in these burrs. Now, if you've done things outside in, in the forest, you've probably come home some, at one of those times at least and been covered in these things. And dogs are even worse than your socks at picking these up. And so he's having to pull them out of his dog's fur. And as he's pulling them out, he's thinking about how annoying this is. And then he stops and looks at one and thinks, how do these grab so well? Now, these are masters at grabbing fuzzy things like animals. And it, what, it allows the seeds in these burrs to travel long distances, and it spreads the plant. And so he's looking at it thinking, I wonder how these grab so well. Because they just they look like these prickly things. I mean, maybe it's pretty obvious, the, the needles. But it grabs really well. So he takes one to his microscope in his home. And he looks and he sees that on the end of every needle, it's not a point. It's a tiny hook. And those hooks grab the little hairs or fibers on fur or on clothing and boy do they hang on well and it's not just one it's every single one of those needles has those hooks and so he all of a sudden has this thought wow we could make if we mimicked this this hook we could make a new kind of material and he, he starts thinking about kind of an in-between something between sewing two pieces of two pieces of cloth for example together or between that and like zippers and buttons, okay? Some way, t a new way to connect two things together and hold them together. And so he starts researching this. 
actually quite intensively. And he actually starts traveling around to different places that do fabrics, and he tries to get some support. And he goes to seven different companies, and they're all like, hmm, that's a really dumb idea. <laughs> and then the next one, no, next one. Finally, one guy says, that's interesting, and they start talking about it. Well, they start doing tests. First, they started with cotton, and his idea was, we'll have two different kinds of material. We'll have one material that's like these hooks, these tiny little hooks of the burr, and then the other material will be like all this, it's almost like cottony, fluffy fabric fibers, and so when you push them together, the hooks on one side will grab the little fibers on the other. And so that was his plan. So they started working on this, and they discovered that cotton wasn't a very good option and that it wouldn't hold up very well. And they ended up using a kind of nylon and polyester material um, for that really fibrous side. And <coughs> here's a, a picture of one of those sites. So it's really soft, and of course, this is probably really familiar to all of us. Um, but the big challenge was the other side, the side with the hooks because he wanted literally thousands of hooks on one side and then thousands of these fibrous loops on the other so that you didn't have to get any of them specially lined up, you just slap together and don't think about it. But how do you produce tiny perfect hooks on each of those little fibers on this side? And not only that, how do you do it in mass production? And so that was a big hang up that he ran into. In fact, he spent seven years working on how to get these hooks not only the perfect size and bend, but also how to do that in mass production, okay? And he ended up having the idea that maybe instead of trying to make a hook, maybe we'll do loops on this side too. And then we'll run a blade through the hoop and it will cut the hook on one side or cut the loop on one side and up will pop a hook. So here's a, a picture of a Velcro up close. And you can see all it is is it's a, a loop that's been cut off to one side and it happens to be at the perfect angle and positioning to make the right hook that he needed. And this was a, the breakthrough that he'd been looking for. So all of a sudden he started figuring out how to mass produce this in creating something and they, they actually heated it too so it would be strong. So all of a sudden it comes into this Okay, we're, we can mass produce it, and I'll, here's a picture of a microscope point of view of the hooks in the loops. And we all know how this works from, from the usability point of view, because we all use it. But this was a pretty incredible new idea. In fact, it was so new, he went around showing people, and nobody was like, so what? Why do I want this? I mean, so you want to replace zippers? Okay, so my zipper's down. Okay, now it's Velcro, okay? Um, and it's not subtle, <laughs> okay? Um, there's no, it's not stealthy, okay? And he was trying to come up with a name for it, and um, they were thinking, well, we could call it Velvet Hook. We could call it Velvet Hook. And in French, it was Velour Crochet. Uh, crochet is hook in French, in case you did not know. But uh, Velour Crochet, and they named it Velcro after Velour Crochet. So Velcro was what he called it, and nobody really got the vision of, no, you could use this all over the place because it's super strong if you just try to pull it flat off of itself. But if you peel it, then you only have a few of the hooks and hoops pulling and you can actually, it's quite easy to pull apart. Um, you should try it sometime. Um, so it was like, no, you could use this on all kinds of things. And no, no, until finally one, one party saw potential. And it was this, this organization called NASA and they were sending people, or looking at sending people into space, obviously, and to the moon. And one of the issues in space is there's no gravity. So all of a sudden, this pencil that you had sitting on that desk goes, you need something to hold it there. And so they started putting Velcro on things in the spaceship. They even had Velcro on the astronauts' um, sleepwear. All right, time for bed. <laughs> Rip out in the morning. <laughs> okay, that's your alarm. But they needed Velcro all, all kinds of places. So they all of a sudden were a huge customer. And when people, what, oh, NASA uses this? Whoa, this is sci-fi? It was like, it, it changed every, so after that it started to really turn into something big because all of a sudden it was, well, it must be high tech if NASA's using it. So, well, eventually we all know what happens um, where to, 
today where Velcro is used all over the place. And technically, if it's not Velcro brand, it's hook and loop, okay? Velcro's a brand, not a thing, but we all call it Velcro. But it's used, it, in fact, um, every year they make enough Velcro to go around the world 130 times in one year. That's bags, coats, diapers, all kinds of stuff using this the system that he created. So a pretty incredibly used thing that all started from a hunting trip and an annoyance in nature that sparked an idea. So if you have an idea, stay with it. And if nobody wants it, get NASA to use it. Thank you. <laughs> Right, and now introducing Roger Billings. People did a good job of those rings. Mars, Mars. does not have <laughs> rings. <laughs> that is bad science. It is? Bad science. It's bad? It's bad? It's not yeah, right? Yeah, you need to Velcro that apart. <laughs> so my people did bad? Lee? I, your people are fine, but Mars does not have rings. I, I'm going to call you out on this one. You, you've done a lot of fun things. We've enjoyed that. This went too far. You want to see it without you the You need to fix it. <laughs> wow. Put my finger down. Okay. Fix it. Let's fix it. Let's see it again. Is it fixed? So boring. <laughs> you know, we have to have the last say, always. <laughs> it's a lovely planet. <laughs> Did you know that Venus is not the love planet? The engagement planet happens to be Mars. Oh, yeah? It looked like it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, new twist. I, I think we've learned some great things today from, oh. from these great guys. This spray. I would like some of oh, Would I have loved that growing up? <laughs> you wouldn't now? Yeah, your, your parent says, okay, clean your room. Not a problem. Shh, <laughs> got it. Thing drips down the wall. <laughs> you know, um, it reminds me of an interesting experience that I had growing up. I'm still what? still growing okay, up, but in this experience, they they had a guy, a local businessman, that came to teach us how to be entrepreneurs. And you know, I'm I'm about 13 years old, so pretty much. You know everything. Oh yeah, yeah. 13, <laughs> I knew everything. So lo and behold, he came in. He says, you know, you have to get an idea, and you got to go out. You got to be aggressive. You got to do things. And and he says, for example, who could figure out what to do? If somebody invented a spray who killed dandelions. And I thought, Jessica, oh, what would that be? <laughs> That's her flower. Um, and he says, Well, there is such a spray. And then he told us about a product, a commercial product, you mm -hmm. go down and buy, told us the name of it. And he says, If you get that spray, you can go find a lawn and you can spray it and it'll kill all the dandelions, you know, have to dig them up. And my mind's going, and it is interesting. If you spray plants and it kills them, then you have a barren lawn. But if you spray a lawn and it only kills the dandelions, then that would be neat. And actually what the spray does is it kills broadleaf plants, but not grasses. So anyway, I went down to the <clears throat> trip home. Trip home? I was doing the trip home, <laughs> and I... Walking down the street, I went by a guy's house. <laughs> he had a million dandelions in there. And your mind started going. <laughs> Hello. 
would you like me to get rid of all those dandelions for you? And he said, how would you do that? I said, I'd, I'd just get rid of them, be guaranteed. If I get rid of all these dandelions, how much would you pay me? And he says, well, if you dig all these, you're going to be, deserve a lot of money. He eventually said yes. I went and got the spray. I sprayed them. Three days later. Poor dandelions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what I need for my room. <laughs> but just think. Yeah. Somebody left the lid off. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of like you know we we all make mistakes. I mean it's, it's to err is human, right? We all make mistakes. Like someone might just put rings on the wrong planet. I think it was a good invention of my people. Okay, so, you know, we've been talking about frequency. <laughs> I love frequency. Yes, you do. Frequent, <laughs> frequently you say that. <laughs> we learned that uh, power can be transmitted over long distances if it oscillates, and, you know, we've learned a lot of things. And, mm -hmm. and those things can be very valuable, especially for the people that realize what tomorrow is. Tomorrow is a very important day, as I'm sure you're aware, but I'm not sure everybody out here knows. Tell them what's so important about tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day after today, which is the deadline for the science fair. Tomorrow is the beginning of next year's science fair. That's right. Oh, that's a better tomorrow way of Tomorrow <laughs> is the day you get to start on your new project. And if you're planning to invent Velcro or kill the dandelions, it's out. Right. But anything else is in. We have had the most amazing science fair entries we've ever had this year. We have a lot of them. In fact, I've asked them to start preparing some so we can show some each week. And so stay tuned. Maybe yours will be shown. But we do have a lot of amazing science fair projects. And uh, I believe a lot of people learn a lot of science by doing these projects. And I think we can learn a lot of science just by watching them. I'm excited. Boy, the judges are going to be very busy. They are. There need to be they some really very, are. very good prizes. And next year's science fair has got to be bigger and better. I am guesstimating, which is, you know, like a scientific estimate. I'm guesstimating that we will have ten times as many entries next year as we had this year. Wow. And this year has to be 10 times as many as we had last yeah, year. So the science fair is growing in popularity. And I think we have to work on 10, 10 times as big a prize as next year. We can do that, can't will, we? Will you take that on personally? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get some helpers. Good. <laughs> but things like what we learned about cycles, about frequencies, about hertz, are the kind of things that help you be able to have inventions. Now this, this electrical engineer that didn't like burrs and his socks and his dog and changed the world is really an inspiring story. Uh, ideas are everywhere and we just need to see them, we need to find them, we need to make them happy. Uh, I'm going to show you a couple of really neat things. This is kind of the last uh, of, of the discussions I'm planning to have right now on cycles and frequencies. But there are amazing, surprising even, things that you can do with this that I didn't mean to talk while you were typing. You just said right. something very profound and I was wanting to capture about ideas being everywhere. We just need to find them, so I want to make sure I can. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to see ideas everywhere. Time I'm out. <laughs> this is the real me here, guys. <laughs> I, was, I thought it was very profound. I'm listening. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> You know, oh, what, by the way, what we by need the is way, some rules. We need, you know, rules. We, we need some behavioral rules in this neighborhood. <laughs> we, yeah, we have a lot of questions coming in about that. About what? Behavioral rules in the neighborhood. <laughs> what kind of questions? Well, um, some parents are wanting to make sure that the students are doing things that the parents would be proud of. <clears throat> hmm. A lot of now that's a 
That's an interesting yeah. observation. Like it, don't like it, it's still true. Mm -hmm. In the neighborhood, the parents rule. That's right. Now that may sound like it's not so exciting to some of you as you would have thought, but the good news is you're all going to grow up. <laughs> It'll be your turn. <laughs> but it is, it's a fact. In neighbors, the parents rule. And when we do, th not we, Thank when you. some of you, <laughs> when she does and her people, Me. when we do things that upset the parents yeah. or displease the parents, mm -hmm. then we lose privileges. And so we tore out some things from neighbors that some of the students are not very happy about. They're very vocal about it. It's nice yeah. that they have taken the Cellus courses and they know how to express themselves so well. Yes. Yeah, and they do. <laughs> but one of the, the things that seems to have really upset a lot of people is we turned off communication between mm -hmm. institutions. Why do institutions even want to talk to each other anyway? That's a good question. Yeah. But actually what that does on neighbors <laughs> is it turned it off so that if you went to this school, you cannot communicate with students who went to that school. And since we have a lot of schools and since we have very talented writers and communicators, uh, I, was, I was pleased to see people noticed. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't so pleased that they noticed so strongly. But you know what? I like the fact that people have strong opinions and that they express them. And I really like the fact that I listen to them. Mm -hmm. Only the parents make the rules. That's right. And so we need a new rule. And it's a simple rule so that everybody can learn it and memorize it and follow it. And here's the rule. Don't do anything that's going to make someone's parents upset with you. There are a few things on that list. Yeah, there are quite a few things. Think about and it. you know, if you think about it that way, huh, if I do this and this and this to their student, mm -hmm. what will their parents think? Yeah. And one of the big things about neighbors is it was created so that parents can stay in touch with what's going on with their, with their kids. And why? Because the parents are the ones that are responsible for stirring young people to success in life. Mm -hmm. And we want to enable and empower them, and we do that. Now, um, I'm going to confide in you some of the nasty little deeds that were done. For example, some people found out that in neighbors, if you text someone and you message them, that your parents can sign in and see what you messaged so they can be responsible for you and help you be on your very best behavior. So, being the very creative scientists our students are, they texted, they waited for the person to read it, then they deleted it. They're so smart. And then they could say things that parents could get upset, but the parents would never know. Ha, 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 I fooled the parents. But what they forgot is that in neighbors, the parents are in charge. So guess what I did? Actually, it wasn't me. <laughs> did you inspire it? Oh, I love that smile. Yes. It was the wonderful magic guys with the magic All fingers, the, magic the program guys. thing. We added a new feature to neighbors. And this is absolutely real and true. And we needed to because when words started getting around, you're, you got to be careful because what you say in your messages, your parents can see. So say it, let them read it, and then delete it before your parents check in. Do it while your parents are at work. And so what happens now is they write, oh, this is not something I should be saying. <clears throat> uh, wait, 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 they read it. Okay, delete. But with the new feature, when you push the delete button, guess what happens to your message? goes away. But it goes right over to your parents' account. <laughs> and it says, these are the messages your student deleted. That's good for you guys to know. <laughs> Those magic guys. This wow. is to help the parents make the rules and to be accountable and responsible. 
The whole idea of a neighborhood is we want to be neighbors, and we want to be respectful from each, with each other. And it's very important. Everybody has a different opinion on something, and that's good. We like that. But we have to learn how to be good neighbors and to interact in such a way that we don't create stress or pain or discomfort for anyone. I don't want parents to feel like they've got to pull their students out of neighbors because some people are not being respectful of the parents' wishes. And I think you kind of know what would upset a parent. There are certain things that you just wouldn't ask because it will upset the parents. And I am determined to let this neighborhood work and work freely and to respect the responsibility of the parents to keep an eye on their kids. And I'm going to help them do it. If I don't do that, then there will be no one on here. All the parents will pull them out. So if you think about it, I'm trying to keep it going. I'm trying to keep you on it by having an orderly, respectful, stimulating, exciting neighborhood. So, okay, now that look means something. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I was just thinking a little social-emotional lesson right there. Oh. <laughs> so if You're you right. I'm ready for it. Go ahead. <laughs> If you're feeling like it would be just a little bit naughty of writing something, asking something, or doing something on neighbors, then then edit it. Then don't do it. Then edit it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then edit it. Now I really tried to help people with this. I'm trying to help you fix it. If you notice, we brought the features of the writing tutor over to neighbors. And it has, for example, a, a word filter. And there are certain words that upset people. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to upset anyone. So if you use one of those words and you get ready to send your message, it won't send. And you, and you get a little message that says what? This word may be considered offensive. This word may be considered offensive by some. And there's some words that I think people use because they know they're offensive and maybe they think it's cute. It's not. It's offensive to some. And we don't want to offend anyone. So you can push the send button as many times as you want. You can even get a callus pushing it. But it doesn't go. And, and what happens as a result? A lot of the really neat kids that you want to meet are able to stay on neighbors because mm-hmm. their parents didn't jerk them off because they got a message like that. That's neat. Kind of a neat idea. Now, I don't like to do things behind your back, and so I'm going to take you in my deepest confidence. Wow. I'm very determined about turning this into a major environment. So there are some words that just shouldn't be used because they are words that I think were created to offend. But then there are some things that people say that are real edgy. And what do you do with those? Because when we started looking at the messages, and by the way, a lot of people are, are giving us a flag when there's a problem. So mm-hmm. we see a lot of them. And we're even making it easier for people to flag problems so we can take care of them. Some people have got a little time out on, on neighbors. And some have got more permanent timeouts. And that's how we have cleaned up. If you're not ready to be a good neighbor, well, then this isn't the place to be. You know, should be somewhere else. But when we looked at some of the behavior and some of the things were written, there were words in there that kind of conveyed a meaning that was really not appropriate. And yet the words themselves are pretty innocent words. And so the programming guys that are working on this community says, So what do we do about some things like this? What do we do? What we need is a good social-emotional course. (laughs) Put it on here. That's what we need. Well, we came up with a most creative solution. I'd love to hear it. Well, maybe we shouldn't tell it. Okay. Maybe we should keep it secret. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So people won't try to get around it? Oh, they can try. <laughs> no, I just, it, it's more of a mystery if they, if they get to figure it out. Okay. But uh, I really need people to understand that the purpose of being a neighbor 
is to be a good neighbor and to see if we can uplift and inspire other people. There is a cheap laugh in hurting someone's feelings in telling a joke that somehow is hurtful to someone else. There's a cheap laugh in that, but there's no happiness. And I have walked around this earth about as many times as Velcro. <laughs> and I can tell you that what I've learned from all the days I've walked on this earth is that the real feeling and sense of happiness comes from caring about each other. And if we get that out of the neighbor's experience, it's priceless. It's worth just any cost because it will change people's lives. And we need that. So if you come on neighbors, come on neighbors to inspire, to lift, to help each other. That's what good neighbors do. And if you come on with that attitude, giving, lifting, blessing, it's going to be an incredible place, and it will get better and better and better. If you come on to be abusive, then it's the wrong place, and you will lose your privileges, and some already have. And uh, we're using the rule where you lose it for a day, and the next time you lose it for two days, and four days, and eight days, and pre it doesn't take very long to where you're going to be a lot older than I am before you get back on, so don't do it. <laughs> Does that make sense? It can really, really be a wonderful thing. We have a lot of comments coming in from the students saying thank you for making a safe place. Well, but I, I can only set the goal and inspire. It really has to be done by yes. you. Now, I really want a free exchange, and it's very, very healthy to do it, and, and like 95-plus percent of the people are really respecting that. And so... Um, I would like to make a decision right now to turn on institutional communications again. Like right now, right now? Well, with the understanding that we're going to do better. Wow. Okay? Good, will good, will good. your people out there do better if we turn it back on? Because now they understand what this is about. This is about being good neighbors. They better. Okay, turn it back on. Oh. You know how long it takes to turn this back on? All right, are you ready? Cassette, go. Is it done? Yes. Just like that. <laughs> so the magic guys so are in the room tonight? The, the magic guys are I in like the room. I like that, the magic yeah. guys. And so it's back, and I mm -hmm. hope it will be used very properly. And that's how things work in neighbors, at the speed of a solace. It's, I like it's that. It's accelerated. So okay. <laughs> I like that, too. Now, I've got... Uh, yeah, Some I was really, about really, that. really amazing, okay. neat things that we need to show. I brought a light. Okay. You've seen light before. I have. Yeah. Well, I'd never seen rings about Mars before. But anyway, <laughs> I got a light. Yeah, there's a lot and this out there. light has a little computer on it. Do you remember my signal generator that would create a signal that would pulse at different frequencies? I can make it pulse fast or mm -hmm. slow or whatever. Mm -hmm. This has one of those in it. The light it's, does. Yeah, this little controller can flash these lights at different frequencies. Okay. Now, this is where you start to see the mag. I met the magic. That was supposed to be the magic. The tongue is behind. The speed of thought. Yeah, it's at warp, nothing. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is called a chemistry lab apparatus. It's a ring stand, and I have in here a little uh, electric motor. This is a fan. And this fan is maybe a little bit hard to see. Here you can see it. it's a little fan that I can turn on. It spins around. Look, it is on. It's spinning around. Can you see that? I'm going to turn on this light so you can see it a little bit better. Wait for it. There you go. Can oh, you see cool. the little fan turning? Now, actually, the fan is turning and the light is blinking. And I get to control how fast the light blinks. Now, let's do a mental experiment, and then we'll see if we can confirm it. We could even make a hypothesis, okay, or a lopothesis, or whatever. <laughs> but if the fan is turning at this rate, let's mm -hmm. say it's turning a 1,000 times a, a, a minute, okay? Okay. And if we were to flash the light at exactly the same speed it was turning, well, then every time this fan blade gets right up here, it would flash, then it would go dark, 
and flash, and it would look like the fan blade wasn't moving because it would always be at the same place. Now, if we made it flash just a little bit slower, then the flan, fan blade would be a little farther along each time it flashed, so it looked like the fan blade is moving really slow. Hmm. So I could change how the fan blade looks just by changing how this is flashing. Okay. So right now, is zooming along. You can see I can go in here now and start changing the frequency. So right now it's at 6,000 hertz. And as I f flip the frequency, look what it looks like on the, on the speed. It looks like it's changing. It does. Now I'm going to go up and see how close I can get to the real frequency that's going. Okay, that's interesting. So I'm going to get a finer adjustment here. Okay, now almost that looks like, oh, reversed, and I can, I'm going to get over here on my real fine control. If I turn this just a little bit one way, okay, then it's going to look like it's stopped, and then I can make it look like it's going that way, or I can slow down my frequency, stop it again, I can make it look like it's going backwards. Because every time it comes around, before it gets to the top, I flash. The next time I flash sooner. And so it keeps making it look like it's going back. Now, isn't that pretty cool? That is really cool. Sometimes you'll see this effect on a movie where there's a helicopter flying. Uh -huh. And in the film, they're taking pictures at so many frames per second, usually 16 or 20 or up to 30 or even more. And so if they take the pictures at just the right time in the position, it can actually look like the helicopter blade is going backwards, mm -hmm. which is kind of neat. Some of you have probably seen it and thought, wow, that's a dumb movie. <laughs> okay, but it's a good movie. Spare with it. So if I slow this down a little bit, then it looks like the fan's going that way. If I speed up, it looks like it's going that way. And I'm not touching the motor at all, am I? I'm not touching the fan. So this starts to be like magic, mm -hmm. only it gets even better. <coughs> okay, I'm ready. Are you ready for better? Uh-huh. Now we're going to get into the good stuff. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and turn this little fan off and turn this other one on. Oh, goodness. Look at that. And let's see if I can get this to go off. Okay, that stopped. Can you, let's go back and look at this. There it is. You can see it's dead stop. But I turned on the other one. I'm going to pull this around so you can see the other fan. It's right about right there. And I'll turn this up so you can see it. Oh, look at this. <laughs> Will you look at this? Now, I'm going to turn off my flasher. And if you look, you can see it's going around and around. Boy, we're kind of not getting a very good picture there, are we? Which is kind of cool. There we go. I can read things in Can there. you read things in there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What can I what can I say about that? Let's see if we can get an angle here where we're not putting a reflection on the thing. There, I think we're doing it, aren't we? Let's see if I can stop this one, shall we? So I go back over here, bring it up to about there. I'll move over the other speed. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. Look at that. When I get real close, too fast. I'm getting there. Whoop, whoop. Now I, I can hope see my name. <laughs> we we need to figure out how to get the right. I'm I'm getting a reflection on my camera. Boy, that's even worse. How am I doing this? It's strange. That's a strange reflection on the camera. What is that? Why don't you do it? Okay, he's going to try and turn this so we can see it a little better because it is kind of neat if you can see it. Well, there we go. There we go. There we go. It's getting better. It's getting better. Okay, now we can see it. integrated between my intro and... Your intro? And the rings. Oh, you figured that out, did you? Just barely. Okay, she's got it figured out now. But as you can see, 
it looks like something's really happening there. It looks like it's holding still. It does. But the truth is, if I go ahead and cut it back, the different frequencies, it's really actually spinning right along. And now you can that see it's getting else. light and dark. That is an interference between the frame rate of the camera with my blinking here. So wow. by when you look, uh -huh. when you see, really changes when what you see. And um, there's actually a lot of good lessons in that. There's even lessons in life. Mm -hmm. When two people see the same thing happen, they quite often see different things because of their different perspectives, backgrounds, and points of view. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that I try to teach people, especially people that are on our Celestine here, that you need to cut some slack to each other. People are going to see things different. They're going to have different opinions, different points of view, and we really don't understand that. Okay, let's go look at the skin because I think it's really neat. So I'm going to speed this back up, and as I do, I get right in this zone here, and can you see how that. it's starting to <laughs> celebrate? <laughs> celebrate. It's, it's oh. celebrating. I'm going to speed this up just to hear more okay there's slower it's getting faster can you see that so i speed it up speed it up it's slowing down speed up it's almost stopped i'm going to speed up some more and it's going to start going the other direction and remember remember what's happening here now it looks like it's going this way because every time it goes around it's going around faster than this is blinking so one time it's right here Next time, it's right here at the top. The top's here. And so it looks like it's turning because of when I'm flashing this light on it. And I think that's pretty neat. <clears throat> now, can you use this for anything? Uh, if you've driven a car, you might already know how this, how this works, and especially some of our older cars. Because you are going to compress fuel in a cylinder and then you're going to fire a spark and it's going to expand and, and the, the flame, the explosion is going to turn the engine like Tobias was telling us a few weeks back. Well, the challenge is you have to fire that spark plug at exactly the time when the pistons clear up near the top. Otherwise, It'll be trying to go up while the fire's pushing it down, and it'll stop the car. And when the spark fires is actually what we call spark timing. And the way that you do this is you hook up a light like this to one of the uh, spark plugs in your car, and then you let the engine idle, and you let it flash, and there's a little timing mark. And the mark tells you whether it's firing right at top dead center when the cylinder's all the way up or if it fires before top dead center or later. And you undo a bolt and twist the distributor cap to get the timing exactly right. If the timing's off, you'll waste tons of fuel and you'll have all kinds of problems. In fact, since we've got a minute, uh -huh. it's interesting that if you get the timing perfect at idle, it's not perfect when you're driving fast down the freeway. And the reason that it's not fast enough is because your engine is cycling so fast that by the time the fire gets going, it's already too late. So there is, in a conventional engine, a thing called a centrifugal advance. And that means when it's spinning, it changes the timing to fire earlier. And if it spins even faster, it gets even earlier. In a gasoline engine, you might fire the spark 40 degrees before top dead center under extreme conditions so that the fire can get burning while it's still coming up so that it will push with the greatest force down. And it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. When I made the hydrogen engine, mm -hmm. I had to fix that in cars because hydrogen burns 10 times faster than a gasoline flame does. And so when I let it burn way early before top dead center, the engine wouldn't run. So I had to delay the spark to almost top dead center to get it 
to work, and I had to take out the centrifugal advance. You know, a centrifugal advance, is, when it spins fast, <clears throat> it changes the timing. The way that it does that is it's pushing against spring. And when I fixed it, I figured out how it worked. I took the spring out and wired it hard, and the centrifugal advance went away. Interesting. But this is how you set an engine. If you couldn't do this, if this phenomena wasn't known, mm -hmm. if someone hadn't discovered this, we would have not been able to have the wonderful things we do with cars. Okay, it's getting off here a little bit. And the motor does kind of change its speed with heat. So we're almost stopped again. That flicker that you can see, by the way, I don't see here. That's because of this camera being a little bit out of sync when it takes a picture. And so that makes it flash a little bit. But you can still see this kind of turning, slow it down a little more. There, I got to stop. Oh, slow it down a little more. Now it's going the other direction. That's pretty Isn't neat. that amazing? It is amazing. That is neat. And if you could see it real good, you could tell that those are rings. <laughs> I can see it. On the planet Mars. <laughs> what if there really were rings up there? You know what there might be? On the yeah. back side of it. <laughs> on the back side of Mars? Yeah. On the dark side, <laughs> the of, dark Mars? side of Mars? You know, yeah. uh, we talk about the, the back of the moon. It's really interesting that um, a, the Soviet Union years ago s sent a spaceship to the moon it wasn't a manned mission, or it didn't land on the moon, but it went around behind the moon and came back. And they took pictures of the back of the moon, and they named all the craters with these names of Russian scientists and so forth, mm -hmm. because no one had seen those craters before. And that's kind of an amazing thing. The <clears throat> time that it takes for the moon to spin around in a day is the same as the amount of time it takes for a year going around the Earth. And so what that means is that it goes around to the other side of us. It's turning exactly at the right speed so we only see one side of the moon. Sometimes that side is partly shadowed, depending on the angle from the sun, but we always are looking at exactly the same side of the moon. And to find out if there were craters on the back and to find out what they looked like, we actually had to launch a spaceship to go around behind the back of the moon to be able to see it. It's really fascinating that they're that perfectly in sync. I've heard some theories as to why that is. But it's interesting to study it. And think, if it was just the teeniest bit off, gradually it would change. Hmm. But it's not. It's right on. And... Uh, I've been watching the moon for a lot of years, and same craters. <laughs> the man in the moon, yeah. So, uh, please, we're losing control of Dr. Monet. Jay Monet rocks. On Mars. <laughs> Mars rocks. One of those craters is Jay Monet. I have a rock on the Mars. <laughs> well... It, it's interesting that people are getting more and more and more excited about going to Mars, and it's so far away. Yeah. Who would have ever thought we could ever get there in, in any kind of reasonable amount of time? And then we came up with these new drives for spaceships, and it actually is starting to look like it can be done. Yeah. And some people, like Mr. Elon, are very determined to make it happen, and and I think he's going to do it if he has to do it single-handed. But it's wonderful what he and his company are doing. Now people are starting to talk about going to a planet that goes around a completely different sun. If it's a long ways to Mars, think how far it is to another star. The closest star with a planet that we've been able to find is four and a half light years away. In other words, it's the distance that we could travel in four and a half years if we could go at the speed of light, which, of course, we can't. So we've always kind of felt like travel to distant stars or distant galaxies was completely impossible. 
but some very creative science fair winners, I'm assuming they won a science fair, some very creative <laughs> scientists mm -hmm. came up with this idea that if we put a spacecraft up in orbit, and if we then shot at the spacecraft with extremely high-powered lasers, we could send an enormous amount of power up to the spacecraft, like gigawatts. And those could be caught by a special cell that would accelerate the craft as it starts on its journey to a distant star. And all of a sudden, they're talking about being able to arrive at that distant star where it takes four and a half years for light to get there to be able to arrive there in 12 years. Now, this is a mammoth, mammoth, crazy theoretical project. Nobody's put up the bucks yet. But to even be able to conceive of something like that is really amazing. And when that probe gets to the distant planet and it takes pictures, you know, of what those people look like, if there are people, or, or the craters or whatever they find there, then the spacecraft can transmit those images back to us by electromagnetic waves. And it will take those waves four and a half years to get back to Earth, traveling at the speed of light. And there are serious, credible scientists that are now looking at that and actually thinking maybe that's something we should do. To me, it is, uh, it's mind bungling to think that something like that could even be possible. And it just shows that uh, today's impossible is tomorrow's grand achievements. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that's a wonderful thing about science and technology. I love that uh, 747 plane that we talked about in an earlier session. I, I thought that was a real good lecture. I've always loved that airplane. I love to fly on that airplane. I love to watch it take off. And it is so big that when it starts lumbering down the runway, it looks like it's just crawling. And it's just crawling because it takes so long for the tail to go where the nose was because it's so big. It looks like it's not going very fast. And then as it starts getting down near the other end of the runway, you wonder, it will never fly. It's too big. It's too heavy. It has 300 and some odd people. It'll never get off the ground. It has their luggage, too. Yeah, and the peanuts for everyone. It has it all. <laughs> and one-third of the way to take off is fuel. These things fly 14-hour flights uh, with a reserve of more than an hour of fuel when they land. But when I see that thing get to that point in the runway and the captain pulls back on the yoke, you see the front wheel lift up off the ground. So you got the front wheel up, but you're still on the back wheels and it's rolling along. And then something happens and the weight is shifted from the wheels to the wings and it starts to just very elegantly and smoothly climb into the air, and I never see that. My heart doesn't skip two beats of what a miracle it is. And the number of science fair winners that contributed to that triumph is thousands and thousands and thousands. The guy that invented the turbine, the guy that invented the landing gear, the guy that invented the rubber, the guy that invented the spray that would keep it from getting wet. <laughs> All of these different pieces of technology coming together to achieve an amazing accomplishment. That's why I love science. That's what we're doing. That is what all of these classes that you sometimes say, this is hard. That's what they're accomplishing. They are empowering you and the other associates that are also studying somewhere else in the world right now that will enable you to collaborate, to do miracles, to do things that seem utterly impossible today. Boy, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. We may someday even put rings around Mars. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
We might. We might just do that. <laughs> we just might do yeah. it. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.